Man, oh man, oh man, the first, you good, Richard? What are you doing, man? Party, you good? Well, is there a way to turn it off? I mean, I, I, I'm a big fan. Well, there we go. I mean, technical expert today, lead worshiper today, guitar player today. Get the hell off my stage. Man, the first Sunday of the year, everybody's excited, boy. Everybody's still in resolution mode, and everybody is 2023 is going to be the year for me. Blah, blah, blah. Man, the last two weeks, everybody's been posting, I, I didn't get through 2022 good, but this is my year, because, you know, something magical happens December 31st at midnight. Everything changes. Our mindset changes. We're going to eat right. We're going to be better husbands, better wives. Man, I'm going to chase my dreams for the first time ever. I'm going to have a fresh start. And it lasts for a couple of days. Sometimes it lasts for about seven days. Sometimes there's those crazy one percenters, and it lasts for about 29 days. And then this amazing thing called life happens. And we're right back in the routine of complacency. We're right back in the routine of settling. We're right in the routine of things have always been what they always were, because if you always do what you've always done, you always get what you've always got. But it doesn't have to be that way. This truly can be the turning point in your life. Not because the calendar flipped to 2023, but because you make the conscious decision to put in the disciplines to change your life. I think the greatest lie in life change is motivation. You've got to be motivated. There's just sometimes in life you're not going to be motivated. That's why you've got to learn to be disciplined, to put in the work that needs to be done. And here's what I believe. I believe over the next four weeks, this series has the ability, if you're willing to listen, and here's what I know because I'm not stupid, only about 5% of you are going to listen. But I'm okay with that because those 5% will change the world. Those 5% will change their lives by being sick and tired of being sick and tired. Instead of settling in life and trying to survive in life, they're going to decide, I'm going to thrive in life, because at the end of the day, we only got one shot at this amazing thing called life. But I believe over the next four weeks, we have the ability to change your life. I'm not saying that because it's my job to say that. I'm saying that, man, because I'm the worst kind of drug dealer. I'm smoking what I'm selling. I believe it with everything that is in me. I have more fun asleep than most people have awake. I love life. I don't love people. Just to clarify, my neighbors are here and they'll be like, man, Gary does not love life. No, I don't like people. But I love life. I love doing what I want to do. And making the most of every moment. And you can do that too. I, I, I'm not saying that because my job, I'm saying it because I truly believe that God created you for a purpose. 
God has a plan for your life. God has a vision for your life. God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't make junk. God doesn't make do-overs. God shaped you and He formed you and He created you for greatness. And let me say this. If you're here today and you've always been the best of the best, you're here today and you've always been the brightest of the bright. You've always been the best looking, voted most likely to succeed. My senior year, I was voted most likely to either be a millionaire or end up in prison. And maybe those two go together. I thought that was two weird things to win. But maybe you were voted most likely to succeed in life. Maybe you were the star athlete, the head cheerleader. I want you to know this. God can use you too. He can. But he specializes in using the ordinary for the extraordinary. He specializes in using what society labels as the misfits to do great things. He specializes in this book in using the adulterers and the murderers and the liars and the thieves and the drunkards and the prostitutes to carry out His will. So if you got it all together today, I don't want you to get discouraged today. God can use you. It's just going to be a little harder. you got to humble yourself. you got to be willing to be used. For us misfits, I think this can change your life. For the rest of the month, we're going to be looking at my favorite person in the Bible. I haven't taught on him since 2017. I went back to my notes. The guy named Nehemiah. Nehemiah, yeah, she, one person knows who Nehemiah is, and she is jacked up about Nehemiah. Me and her. Nehemiah. That's why you got to have more black people in your church right there. White folk just sit there, don't do nothing. Black people be waving their hankies and excited. Nehemiah, awesome dude. He was a cupbearer to the king. King Artaxerxes, he was his cupbearer. And what's a cupbearer, you might say? Well, it's not a priest. He wasn't a prophet. He wasn't a warrior. He wasn't a king. He was a cupbearer. This is the guy who went everywhere the king went, and he had the job, and I know some of you women would say, man, this sounds like the greatest job in the world. He had the job of tasting the king's wine before the king tasted it. So he got to taste the best wine there was. And it was a great job until it wasn't. First time somebody slipped some poison to the king in his wine, Cump Bear is the first to find out about it. But overall, and no offense to people in this building who I know work for the government, it was basically a government job. He didn't do much and got paid a lot. He was the cup bear to the king. So if you like wine, it's a cool job, it's great. Commentaries would tell you he was basically a glorified butler. 
He had to be prim and proper. He had to be able to look a certain way, articulate his words in a certain way because he was always in the presence of royalty. He had to be trusted. He had to be trusted with secrets. He heard things that the common man would not hear. But at the end of the day, he didn't really take a lot of talent to take a goblet, put it up to your mouth, sip the wine, and see if you lived or died. That's what Nehemiah did. That's who Nehemiah was. So as we move through the book of Nehemiah over the next month, and you see the amazing stuff that he accomplished in the amazingly short period of time, I want you to keep in mind he was just a cupbearer. But yet God raised him up, and don't miss this. In 52 days, he changed the course of a nation. The Bible says the words of Nehemiah in the month of Kephalos in the 20th year while I was in the citadel. So it's late November, early December, just to track with you on the timeline. Nehemiah speaking. Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. So to put this in context, he's walking along. He's cruising through town. It's his off day. He runs into some boys from the hood. He runs into some of the guys he grew up with. And what's the normal thing you always say? How things back in the homeland? Man, how's the old neighborhood? You really don't care how the old neighborhood is. There's a reason you left it. But it's called small talk. Maybe you came from another church. You run to someone. Hey, man, how things at the church? Just small talk. That's all Nehemiah was doing. How are things back in Jerusalem? They said to me, verse 3, those who survived the exile and are back in the providence, and I'll explain all this to you in a minute, are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. Nehemiah, it's kind of like when you run someone and say, how's life, man? If you're like me, you really don't care how life is. Like, I almost hate asking that question for fear that they're going to start telling me how life is. And I have to listen and then have to do the Gary, the backpedal. It's interesting. I got to go. He didn't really care. He was hoping they would do what everyone else does. Man, life's good. Hey, good to see you, man. Hey, we ought to connect. No one you don't want to connect with them. You're being nice. They told him the wall was tore down. The people back home were in trouble. The people back home were in disgrace. The people back home had no hope. The people back home were frustrated. They were fearful. And, and, and when Nehemiah hears this, verse 4 says, when I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. Let's unpack this real quick. I'll be real quick on the history lesson because I want to get to the good stuff. Walls of Jerusalem had been down about 140 years. It's a long time. It was tremendous embarrassment to the people of God. You have to understand, a city was fortified. It was solidified by the walls around the city. The cities allowed, the walls allowed them to decide who came into the town, who left the town, Import expert. It, it, it provided protection. Enemy town wants to come over and take your town. They can't. They got to get past the wall. 
It was hard to operate a city in a functioning way without a great wall built around it. When other cities would come and go to war with you, their first goal was how do we take down the wall? Once we take down the wall, we have them. We can attack them from every side. So not only is it embarrassing, this is God's city, God's nation, it leaves them vulnerable to attack. To say it had been down about 140 years would be the equivalent of saying the walls of our nation had been down since the late 1800s. So the people were depressed. They had been taken into captivity under King Artaxerxes, who Nehemiah is the cupbearer for. Artaxerxes had given them permission to return back to the land, but they returned back to a land that had been taken over 140 years. So the buildings are in decay, the walls are down, there's not a lot of hope, and they're trying to rebuild a nation. The temple has been torn down. They've rebuilt the temple somewhat, not to what it was, but where they could worship God, but they had not got to the walls yet. And they were vulnerable. They were depressed. They felt like they had no hope. They played that mental mind game that so many of us play. Life is never going to get better. They were already defeated in their minds. And the reason so many of you can't get a fresh start is you've already defeated yourself in your mind. You no longer believe in yourself. Yeah, but nobody believes in me. Who cares? Who cares? People come and people go. You've got to believe in yourself. Life is never going to get back to normal. The walls are broken down. And it's a story as old as time. The walls were broken down by their own doing. God had told them, if you obey me, I will make you prosperous. Yet they rebelled against God because they had rebelled against God. There was consequences. Because they had drifted from God, there was consequences. When your life isn't going like you think it ought to go, our life seems to be falling apart instead of making excuses, why don't you go backwards and track back to where you and God are? Show me your life and I'll show you your relationship with God. And I'm not saying when you have a great relationship with God, everything is fantastic. I'm not saying, oh my God, have a relationship with God and every day will be sunflowers and unicorns farting out bubbles. That is not what I'm saying. Life will get hard sometimes. But when life isn't going and our purpose isn't going like we think it ought to be, I always say go back and look at your walk with God. Everything starts there. It's the foundation of everything. You want a good marriage, it starts with God. You want good finances, it starts with God. You want a good relationship with your children, it starts with God. You want a good relationship with people around you, it starts with God. You want a life of purpose, it starts with God. You want a life of fulfillment, it starts with God. You want a life of victory, it starts with God. You put God first in your life, and it just works out. And I know what you're saying, Gary, you got to say that to your preacher. No, 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 BS, you don't know me very well. I'm saying that because I believe it. I am not your normal pastor. I am not going to get up here and sugarcoat stuff to you and give you every stupid cliche that preachers are giving forever. I'm smoking what I'm selling. As my walk with God goes, my life goes. They had walked away from God. And because they had walked away from God and their disobedience, the Babylonians had come along and defeated them and taken them captive. Some years later, when Persia became the dominant world power, They let some of the Jewish people go back to the homeland. You can return to your land. 
That seems like a great thing. You get to return to your land, but you're really returning to nothing. Empty buildings, destroyed buildings, walls are torn down, the temple's burnt to the ground, you're humiliated, you're vulnerable to attack from your enemies who now know you're back and now they want to take you captive. It's not a good time to be in Jerusalem. And Nehemiah is back in the capital, back in Persia. He's got that government job. He's getting that paycheck. He's sipping wine. Life is good. Life is comfortable. Woo! The worst place you can ever get. Life is comfortable. And then God does something. God sends some guys along, and they tell them about what's going on in the hometown. <laughs> and it's a moment of clarity for Nehemiah. It's a moment of calling for Nehemiah. He wasn't the first to hear about it. But it moved him. The Bible says he wept. He fasted, he prayed for days. He could not let it go. Have you ever had a calling in your life that is so thick you can't let it go? It gnaws at you, it keeps you up at night. It's what you know you were put on this earth to do. Everyone else has seen the need, but they've not overlooked it. They're just not called to it. But you're called to it. This was his aha moment. I've used this illustration before, and that always starts a... Great church debate. How many of you ever remember the show Popeye, the cartoon Popeye? Uh, Popeye the Sailor Man, toot toot. Yeah. I am that I am. I'm Popeye the Sailor Man. You don't know who Popeye was, you young bucks? He was a cartoon character. He was a sailor. He had these huge arms, kind of like me. He had this chick. Olive oil, she was U-G-L-Y, baby. You ain't got no alibi. She was ugly. Ugly! But I'm going to tell you something. There must have been something about olive oil. So, boy, they fought over her. Now, this is where the great debate starts. Some people say the guy who wanted olive oil, his name was Brutus. Some say his name was Bluto. I think there was two of them that wanted her. Something about an ugly woman, man. I don't know what it is. She has something going on. I don't know if it was her perfume. I don't know what it, I don't know if it, man, some guy, back in those days, they must have just been in the knobby knees. I don't know what it was, man. But Brut, Brutus, Bluto, and Popeye were always fighting over every episode. That was the, the, the show. And every show... Either it was Brutus or Bluto, would take her from Popeye. She wasn't too faithful of a woman. But Popeye was always willing to fight for her. See, he'd get beat up and slapped around and they'd mock old Popeye. And then every time there was this point in the show, he had that aha moment. I've had all I can stands. I can't stands no more. And he pop open this can of spinach, 
And he'd eat this spinach. I remember as a kid eating spinach just because I thought it'd make me tough. No, it does not. It won't make you sick. It's disgusting. And he'd pop that, pop that spinach, and he'd whoop Brutus or Bluto, and he'd get his woman back every time. It was his aha moment. Nehemiah had his aha moment right here. My hometown needs me. They need a leader to come back and rally the people. They need someone to come along and rebuild the walls. They need someone to come along and inspire and give hope. I can do what everyone else has done. I can hear about the need and I can ignore the need. Or I can rise up and be who God's called me to be. And we can bring Jerusalem back to prominence. And that's what Nehemiah did. I'm going to tell you something today. As you enter into 2023 and you're looking for that fresh start, here's what I want you to know. God has a calling on your life. He has an aha moment for you. You know what, here's the sad freaking part about it. You know what it is. You've just been ignoring it. You know what the calling is. You've just been fighting it. You've been trying to ignore it. You've been pushing it way. Well, guess what we mean? We push it down. But you know it's there. And there's reminders of it everywhere you go. And if you want to have the fresh start that you're supposed to have, you've got to have that aha moment. You've got to have that moment where you say, you know what, I will no longer have an average marriage. I'm going to put in the work to have a great marriage. I will no longer live my life going to a job that I cannot stand I'm going to chase my dreams to provide for my family. I'm no longer going to live my life by what society says I ought to live it for. I'm no longer going to be controlled by my hurts, my habits, my hang-ups. By God, I've had all I can stand and I can't stand no more. I'm going to take control of my life. And that's the problem with so many of y'all. And I don't very rarely say y'all. I normally say us. There ain't a lot I got my shit together on, but I got it together on this. And if that offends you, we're probably not the church for you. So let's just get that out of the way real quick. But in this area, man, years ago, I decided I would no longer live the life I wasn't created for. I don't care if my mama likes it. I don't care if my family likes it. I don't care if my friends like it. No offense to you, and I love being your pastor. I don't care if you like it. I love my wife, and she is supportive in everything that we do, and we discuss everything. But if she didn't like it, I just have to remind her there's a marriage certificate. She can't go nowhere because we're rolling with it. And I expect the same from her. I want her to live the life she was created for. The problem is you've settled in life. You're not happy in life. You go to a job you hate to make money, to buy things you don't need, to impress people you don't even like, and you find no fulfillment in it. You know there has to be more than the groundhog day you're living. Same crap, different day. But you're not willing to make the thing. You've got one shot at life, and you're living life settling, and I just simply don't understand it. Every now and then, you're going to have to look around and say, man, I will no longer live life by their rules. I will no longer tolerate mediocrity. 
I will no longer tolerate living my life to please somebody else. I'm going to do the life I was created for. Somebody's got to do something about this. It might as well be me. It's your calling. It's your fresh start. <laughs> Reach of this is different. I don't know what your calling is. I don't know what it is in your life, but here's what I do know. God called you to something. He did not leave you here to go through the motions. You know what it is that gets your motor running. I don't know what it is. It could be something. I love watching. I don't even know where Unc is. Where's Uncle Randy at? Raise your hand. Look at this sexy beast. I love sitting back watching him get excited about coaching kids at football. I don't want to coach kids at football. Ain't my calling. But I like him taking young kids and making champions out of them. I don't have a heart to make sure people get fed. It's not my heart. Say, well, you're a pastor. Let me make that clear to you again. I don't have a heart to make sure people get fed. But we have people in this church who do. It's their heart. I don't know what your passion is. Maybe you want to come along and you want to mentor business leaders in life. I don't know. Awesome. Maybe you want to teach people how to get their finances in order. Awesome. Get yours in order. Maybe you want to come along and show people, man, hey, listen, marriage is tough and marriage is tough, hard, and it is not easy because if it was easy, everyone would do it. But come along, let's figure out how to do this. I want to show you what we've done. I, my passion in life is very simply this. I could write a book on how to screw up your life, but I could write a book on how to rebound from that screw up. I don't want to show you how not to screw up because you're going to screw up. I just want to remind you when you screw up, hey, man, God's not done with you. I don't know what your passion in life is. I don't know what your calling in life is. But God has called you for greatness and you're wasting your life doing nothing. At the end of your life, you're not going to care how much money you made, how big your house was, and how nice your cars are. You're going to care about, did you live out your purpose? Did you make a difference in the world? Is the world a better place today than when you got here? And I don't mean the world by the whole globe. I just simply mean the world around you. Someone gave me probably the greatest compliment. Let me rephrase that. Back that up. Gave this church the greatest compliment that I think could ever be given to it. There was a post on Cherokee Connect. Bam, 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 bam. Someone was looking to start a church, and people were like, that's the last thing this area needs is another church. That's the last thing this area needs. And it kind of got a little volatile, and I was just sitting back eating popcorn, digging it, because I kind of agreed with them. And um, I was talking to someone about that thread, and they said, man, there are some good churches in this area. I said, man, there are some good churches in this area. And he said, man, there are some big churches in this area. I said, man, there are some big churches in this area. Because I, I was just trying to be encouraged, because you know I like to talk crap about churches. And so I was just like, yeah, there's some good churches in there. I didn't want to be mean. He said, man, there, he goes, man, there's any kind of church you could want in this area. I said, any kind of church you want in this area. He said, man, you want a traditional church? There's traditional. I said, boy, there's some good traditional churches in this area. He said, man, there are some mega churches in this area. Boy, there's some mega churches in this area. He said, man, you can go to a church and watch a preacher on video. I said, man, you can go to a church and watch a preacher on video. 
He said, but you know something about every church? I'm just telling you what he said. I'm not saying this is true. He said, every church in this town could close down. And nobody but the people who attend that church would even notice, except for Action Church. He said, what you guys do in this community? And he goes, boy, I know people hate y'all. And he goes, man, people just don't like you. And he said, I got to be honest. I don't always like you. But I can't argue with what you guys do in this community. Because it's awesome. Because we live at our purpose. We didn't start this church for the religious to like us. Now, let me make this clear we didn't start this church for the religious to hate us. That wasn't our goal. We didn't start this church to be buddies with every Christian organization in town. No, we're not looking not to be buddies with them. We started this church to reach the unchurched. That's what we do, that's what we exist for. We're not interested in having youth groups, and we're not interested in having Sunday school, and we're not interested in a midweek service. And if you're looking for all kinds of pop and circumstance, what do you do over here is what we do. We have a pep rally on Sunday, and we serve the community the rest of the week. It's pretty simple. 25 years ago, I was pastoring a traditional Baptist church in Ames, Iowa. I don't even know if you know what this means. It was an independent, fundamental, premillennial Baptist church. Women couldn't wear pants. Boy, if it wasn't King James Bible, you couldn't preach from it. Songs had to be, because this is what the music guy said, songs need to at least be 25 years old. That way they're better. Okay, I don't even know what that means, but okay. I actually had a family leave the church one time because I wore a blue dress shirt instead of a white dress shirt. Told me I was getting liberal. I was about 22, 23 at the time, and I had done college ministry my entire ministry life, and we were in a college town. Iowa State University was there. And I started reaching college kids like crazy. And I learned in a church like that, see, they've set their church up like the government. It's all about voting. So really, you just got to get the majority. So I started reaching more college kids than we had regular folk. Next thing you know, boy, it hit the fan. You'd think they'd be excited that college kids were giving their life to Christ, but they, they cared more about their traditions. They cared more about the way things had always been. They were more interested in religion than reaching people. And I decided then and there I would never do church for church folks again. Ever. I resigned as the pastor. I helped them find a new pastor. I moved back home to Georgia. Moved here. Started the church across town. And we reached people. Screwed that up, lost that church, and was done. Then a group of stupid 13 people came along. Boy, unlucky number. I said, man, you ought to start another church. I said, no, I'm done. Man, we want you to start a church. We want you to start a church. I said, here's the only way we'll start a church. I said, we moved to the poorest part of town. And I said, we just serve people. That sounds great! None of them 13 people are here anymore. None of them. Because it sounded real good until the drunk guy came in with no T-shirt. He couldn't walk. 
And it sounded really good that they came in their nice clean clothes and the homeless guy sat next to them hadn't had a bath in three weeks. And it sounded really good that they showed up and there was heroin needles right outside the front door. See, I think they thought I was just saying something to say it because it sounded cool and that we'd never actually live it out. I remember people saying, that church will not make it a year and a half. God, I wish they were true. (laughs) Here we are 11 years later. Because God placed a burden in some people. God's placed a burden in you. And I want to give you some things very quickly, and I'm hungry, and we're going to get out of here. As God begins to place that burden in you, and you're trying to figure out how to change the world, the first thing I want you to know is world changers are broken over their cause. When I heard these things, he said, I sat down and I wept. Nehemiah did the very same thing that Jesus did when he was approached about Jerusalem. He was up on a hill. He looked down over the country. He saw the temple had been turned into a marketplace. And the Bible says he wept. He was overwhelmed. He was overcome with emotion. He broke down. He cried. He said, they're like sheep without a shepherd. It broke him. What is it that breaks you? What is it that gets you going? My wife and I have had this discussion a thousand times. She will tell you there's things that I am passionate about when it comes to my purpose. And she'll say, I love you. That ain't my calling. There's things that you guys come to me about and you're passionate about. And what do I tell you? It sounds great. Go do it. Ain't my calling. That's the thing. Though The Bible says we're the body of Christ. When everyone is functioning in their purpose, we become a complete body. Some of you are the fingers, and some of you are the hands, and some of you are the wrists, and some of you are the legs, and some of you are the... We've got a lot more of these here than most churches. But what is it that breaks you? What is it that upsets you? What is it that you look at and you see, and you think, man, that needs to be better. It it can be something as simple as looking out at the youth of the day and saying they need a discipline of football and I'm going to do whatever it takes to coach them. You look out and say, man, I'm going to be the best father to my kids that I can be. It can go out and say, you know what, I'm going to go out and I'm going to be successful in the business world because then, because that's my skill set and I'm going to use that money to fund other people's ministries. I don't know what it is, but you do. What are you broken over? I mean, Nehemiah, the Bible says he was broke down. It says he sat down. This is ugly crying. Ugly crying. I'm talking about that kind of crying when the women crying, the mascara's running down the face, and they're just broken over something. Now, what's interesting is, is when Nehemiah hears this, he's a thousand miles away. One thousand miles away from the broken down walls. Wasn't like he could just hop on an airplane and fly there. It's not like he could call an Uber and scoot over there. It's not like he could get in his car and drive a thousand miles, hear about it, and be there eight hours later. It had been real easy in his circumstances to hear about it, be upset about it, and move on from it. Boy, ain't that what we do? We hear about a need and we're moved for a second, but it passes... We don't know if it was God or indigestion. 
It's easy to get wound up about something but move on. Someone said, how do you know it's your true calling? I said, if it won't go away. If it just keeps gnawing at you. I know what my, 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 my mission is at this church. I have one mission in this church. To teach on Sunday mornings in a way that people could understand. Anything else around here, I don't do. That upsets some of y'all. Tough. That's my calling. I don't know what your calling is. The problem with church is the pastor's supposed to have everybody's calling. Mm-mm. Boy, we have twisted what being a pastor means in this society. They really should change the word pastor to female dog. Because that's what most pastors are to their churches. Someone told me, I said, you're, you're a good speaker. No, that's a speaker. My job is to preach to you the word of God in a way that you can understand. If you don't like it, don't come back. I hope you do. But I'm not going to apologize for how we do things. Because I was broken over that. I'll never forget going to a church when I first moved here 18 years ago and the preacher gets up and he's screaming and spitting and hollering and I literally have no idea what he's talking about. And here's what he said. Because he knew he was an idiot. He knew no one understood him. And if you don't understand what I'm saying, that's your fault. And I thought, or it's your fault. We're not taking this book and explaining it in a way people can understand. And I replay that in my head every Sunday morning as I walk out. If they don't understand, it's my fault. He's living in a palace. Life's comfortable. It would have been so easy to say, man, that sucks the walls are tore down. But he had a burden, he had a calling, and he couldn't move on. You know what he could have done? He could have done what church... Oh, he could have done the Facebook thing. I'll pray for him. Pray for so-and-so. Took me two seconds to write that out. I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm not even going to give it another thought. And really, to be honest with you, I probably ain't going to pray about it. But it makes me feel good to post it in my status. Nehemiah couldn't let it go. I don't know about you, it's human nature. I'm pretty skilled at ducking pain. I hear about a need and I blow it off. It would been easy for Nehemiah to do this, but he didn't. Sometimes this is how my mind works. I see a commercial about kids that are hungry, and I think to myself, man, that's horrible. Man, they're hungry. Crap, I'm hungry. What's for dinner tonight? And then I forgot about the kids being hungry, ducking that pain. What is it that causes you pain? What is it that you're broken for? When was the last time you got broke over your life? When was the last time you got broke over your circumstances? And what some of you need to quit doing is instead of wallowing in the pain of how bad your life is, because your life being bad doesn't make you special. It makes you human. Life sucks at times. You've got to embrace the suck, though. Embrace the pain. 
You can wallow in the pain or you can embrace the pain because the pain will make you change. When the pain of staying the same becomes worse than the pain of change, you're on the right course. What is it that's causing you pain? Gary, I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know either. I ain't God. Reality is you do know what it is. You've just been ducking it. World changers, man, they're broken over their cause. You didn't choose the burden. The burden chose you. You think this is what I want to do with every Sunday of my life? No. Fight with God all the time about it. God, you sure you ain't done with me over there? No. Mm-mm. It reminds me all the time I'm your punishment. Somebody's got to do something. Or another year is going to go by. And you're going to do the same BS the last two weeks of December. New year, new me. Gary, I got it. What's my pain? We got to go to the next thing. World changers start with prayer. Once that pain begins to develop, once that calling begins to develop, how do you know it's real? It's an amazing concept, Christians. It's called prayer. Think about this for a moment. You have direct access to God. I'm going to offend some of you here. Some of you are going to think I'm inappropriate in this comment, but let me go ahead and say it. You don't got to wait for an NFL player to have a heart attack on the field to ask everybody to be praying. Tragedy happens. All we can do now is pray. No, you should have started with prayer. It's time for us to quit acting like prayer is a last resort and make it the first resort. I'm just praying over my marriage. Had you been praying over your marriage since it started, you might not have to be praying as hard today. Ah, like prayer is some kind of 911 call. It's like the bat phone. Life's falling apart. Get over here. Need you. Man, people always ask me, like, what kind of prayer should I pray? I always say this kind of prayer. I right, listen, don't you lie, because I know you are church people and you will lie on a Sunday morning. How many of you ever been hung over? Growing up? You, you, I'm talking about them kind of prayers. When you hug in that commode and the sweat's coming down your face, you don't care that there's dried pee on it. You don't care that there's splatter in there. You're puking in that thing and you're telling God, Dear God, I will never drink again. Just get me through the down. Your tears are coming down your face. Talking about them sincere prayers. I'm talking about them sincere prayers. When a person in your house, while you're doing it, it's like, I told you not to drink. My wife had never seen me intoxicated all through our dating and all through our marriage. Night before our one-year anniversary, she decides to have a bunch of women over to the house. Sends me off with a German guy. Germans can drink. He's ordering three shots every time. I'm just sitting there drinking with him. 
A few hours later, she's picking me up in the parking lot as I'm urinating in the parking lot, getting me home. So on our one-year anniversary, I wake up, and it's possible I was hungover. So I'm doing what you do when you're hungover. Now, hear me out, because this is the lack of grace this woman has in her life. God has worked in her life over the last 10 years. She now is a little more grace-filled. Sometimes you need grace before you can give grace. Instead of saying, my love, I understand that's the first time you have ever done this. I'm so sorry. Is there something I can do for you? She comes in. I'm going to breakfast. Leaves the door open, lets the dog come in. So now I'm puking. The dog's licking my face, and she leaves. And I'm still praying. World changer start with prayer. Look what it says. For some days I mourned, and I fasted. And I prayed for the God of heaven. Someone asked me, I said, how long should I pray? I said, until you get an answer. I'm praying over my kids. They're doing, not doing right. I'm going to pray till I get an answer. I'm praying about my future. I'm going to pray forever. I'm praying over dinner. I'm going to pray for about two seconds. You, give that, you, you bless the food after you ate it. That way you know how much thanks to give. Listen. What can I do about this burden? I'm just one person. We're just one family. What can I do about my marriage? They won't do anything. Here's what you can do. You can start praying. You can start calling out to God. You can pray to the God of heaven, the God who spoke everything into existence. He looked out into nothing and made everything. And you don't think he can answer your prayer? God plus one's a majority. And we're going to be talking about these things throughout this series. Next week, I'm going to be talking about that God is raising you up to be a leader. I believe it. I believe everybody in here has the potential to be a leader in some aspect of their life. The third week of the series, we're going to be talking about the fact that once you decide to be a leader and chase your dreams, there's going to be people who come along and criticize you. Imagine that. You think they'd be happy that your marriage is back together. No, they're going to criticize it. You think they'd be happy you're getting your finances together. You think they'd be happy that you're chasing your dreams. But misery loves company, so instead of encouraging you, they will try to discourage you. We're going to talk about that because Nehemiah did it. Fourth week, we're going to look at every distraction because when you get ready to chase your dreams and have a fresh start, boy, there's going to be distractions come from everywhere. But in 52 days, Nehemiah changed the world because he started with prayer. I'm about to wrap it up. We're about to get done early today. New year, new me. You're broken about it. You're going to pray about it. Now, here's the problem. Most people stay broken and they never pray. But then here becomes the bigger problem. Most people get to the prayer stage and they stop. World changers stand up and take action. It's not enough to pray. I heard an old guy say one time, he said, you pray like it all depends on God and you work like it all depends on you. Praying for God to help me with my finances, but he ain't been helping me. Well, didn't you just tell me you turned down 20 hours of overtime the other day? What, did you think God was just going to write you a check, sign God, first bank of heaven, it was going to come in the bank? You idiot. Let me be as blunt with you as I can. It's not enough to say what you want in life. 
It's not enough in your life to pray over it. Eventually, you've got to stand up and do something about it. You've got to put in the work. If you're not willing to do the work, then it's not going to happen. Nehemiah didn't just sit around and keep having prayer meetings. He went to the king, the king of Persia. He said, I need your help. I'm distraught over what's going on in my homeland. King, and I need your support. I need your help in this. He went before the king, if you go to chapter 2 and you read the story. He was about to taste some wine, and the king had been around him so much that he could tell something was wrong with him. He said, what's wrong, Nehemiah? You don't, don't look yourself today. Everything good? The Bible says Nehemiah was afraid. Why wouldn't he be afraid? It's the king. Look at the king and say, I've got to go back to the country you defeated and make him powerful again. It was intimidating to him. He could have done what most of us do, and just stay silent. But he, he, he was willing to go and do something I call in business. I call it the big ask. The reason so many of you don't have certain things is because you're not willing to ask. You're afraid you'll get a no. But without asking, you can't get a yes. <laughs> the problem is you don't believe in your calling enough to ask. People ask me, I say, how do you get these people to help you do all this? I said, I ask. They just do it. I said, not all of them. No. But enough do. The ones that say no, I just ask someone else. I'm not afraid to ask because I believe so much in what I'm doing. I'm not coming to the end of my life with regrets. I refuse. I refuse. You've got to put it into action. Look what it says. What's wrong with you, Nehemiah? But I said to the king, may the king live forever. He's smart. He buttered him up first. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Sometimes you, ask a que- you answer a question with a question. The king said to me, what is it you want? This is a make or break moment. What is it you want? What is it you want in this marriage? What is it you want from me as a husband? What is it you want from me as a worker? What is it you want from me as a dad? What is it you want from me as a leader? And the most of the time, people don't have the testicular fortitude. That's balls if you're from Pickens County to give the right answer. And then you get mad that they don't give you what you wanted. You didn't have the balls to ask. What is it you want from me? Look what he said. He's smart. Or he answered. I prayed to the God of heaven. Twelve different times it says Nehemiah prayed. What is it you want from me? Well, let me pray about this real quick. Then I prayed to the God of heaven. And I answered the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let me, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Hey, God. Hey, king, I'm not asking you to send other people. I'm asking you to send me. 
Hey, king, I'm not going to sit around and whine about it. Send me. I'm not going to sit around and complain about it. Send me. I'm not going to ask, why won't somebody do something about this? I'm going to do it. The God of heaven has given me a burden. My misery has become my ministry. And I'm looking at it and saying, as long as I'm alive, as long as there is breath in me, as long as there's still fight in me, I'm going to swing my sword, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to live the life I was created for. I refuse to quit living. The problem is when you quit living, you quit living. You know, I saw stats recently. It was staggering. I can't remember exactly, but it was such a short period of time. How many people die after retirement? Because they no longer live a purpose. I was talking to David Westrick about this other day. He's getting close to retirement because he's old. And I said, man, you know what? He said, let me tell you what I'm involved in. And dude, he's doing this, this, this. He's got a plan. He knows he can't sit back. Bye. He'll be dead. And then Sierra will be spending all his money with some young man. He's got to keep going. I'm telling you today, during this series, some of you are going to get a vision from God during this series. God's going to stir something up in you. And the world's going to be different because you're willing to go after it. And then God's going to begin to stir something in some of you and you're going to ignore it. At the end of your life, you're going to live your life with regret. And not only are you going to live your life with regret, you're going to live your life with anger, criticizing those that do chase their dreams. I posted that on Facebook yesterday. Only losers criticize winners. Winners don't criticize other winners. Winners don't even criticize losers. Losers love to criticize winners. I've never heard Tom Brady criticize anybody. Boy, they love to criticize him. He's a freaking goat. Losers love to criticize. I ain't calling you a loser, Bubba, because you're making fun of Tom Brady back there. I'm sorry. We was just talking about Tom Brady. I didn't want to get a complex. Losers love. Those who won't do it love to criticize those that are. We just got done closing the shelter at that cold period. Every time we open that shelter, I get message after message on how we should run the shelter. Or I'll see on Facebook, I think they ought to do this. I always go back and say, hey, can you tell me what you're doing for the homeless? Well, nothing. No, I like our way better. Those aren't doing nothing. Love to criticize those that are. God's going to change your life during this series if you allow Him. But you've got to allow Him what breaks your heart. Whatever it's breaking your heart, you need to start praying about. And you've got to put it into action. It, it can be something as simple as reconciling a relationship. I remember to turn my watch off man, when I'm preaching. Uncle Randy, text Fire Marshal Bill and tell him I'm preaching. I need him to quit texting me wrong with that man? Ain't he in church? Man, heathen. Won't come to this church because we ain't holy enough. Apparently he ain't even in his own church. Texting me about Hardy, the singer. Calling you out right now. Stop. Listen, God wants to do something great in your life. You got to pray about it. Then you got to quit praying about it and start doing it. The series will change your life if you allow it. Let's pray.